Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manu Weff, and we got another interesting one coming up this week, and helping me to discuss it all is all the way from Siberia. I heard he spent all morning uh, clearing ice off his windshield just to go to the supermarket to buy some fermented vodka. How's it going, Andrew? Yeah, yeah, great. Now I'm all warmed up, because at least I've got the thought of not having to scrape ice for the rest of the day. Um, but yeah, other than the ice scraping and the cold, the snow something that you canadians won't understand other than that i'm fine thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we we just won't get it here on the west coast uh it's a it's a balmy 10 degrees this morning um just wanted to let you know um and helping me to enjoy oh, these we're basically just hanging out on the beach all the time right tim i mean it is california <laughs> of uh, canada <laughs> yeah that's probably california of canada i won't say that i spent uh, a few days on the beach because it was raining, but uh, it's still pretty comfortable. I'm excited that um, the new season is kind of started with uh, the Match TV Cup, which we will discuss today. I watched uh, Spartak this week for the first time this year. So um, it's exciting because it seems like the football is finally kind of back after the Christmas break. Yeah, it, it is indeed. And um, it, it is kind of fun to, to have these uh these winter games and then before we get into the the match tv cup uh, which is being held in qatar um rostov locomotive spartak and zenith right um yeah. are playing the tournament um it's a, it's a good idea these tournaments are always good idea because they have a very very long winter break right um in in russia and a lot of these clubs and this is this is something that i mentioned in an, in an article i wrote um Basically, they have to play two legs of European football. Um, this would be Zenit and Krasnodar before they even get to play a league game, right? So, so for, for Zenit, this, this tournament is absolutely crucial. Um, but Tim, I, I don't know if you remember this tournament. Do you remember the Channel One Cup? Yeah, I do remember. I, I remember watching that uh, tournament. Uh, Spartak, I remember that Spartak didn't do very well and that the Ukrainian clubs were very, very good. But I remember watching this tournament. And um, again, that was a great tournament because 
the top clubs played the competitive uh, games. Uh, well, fairly competitive. They didn't play against the Azerbaijan U21 team. They played against the actual uh, strong opponents. And I think uh, it was a good idea. And I think that um, this idea of this Match TV Cup is also a great idea. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. Um, and the reason I'm mentioning this Channel One Cup is because I, I was looking at this Match TV and then I, um, I thought, okay, well, I remember sort of this was the, the, the Channel One Cup was played in the early 2000s, right? And there was um, there was a lot of money on the line for it because they had this this tournament in Israel where um, the two the two top teams from Russia would meet the two two top teams from Ukraine. And uh, it was all sponsored by Roman Abramovich. And um, in the second year, when the two Israeli teams joined, there was eight million eight million dollars on the line for this, um, which is a lot of money, right, to win the tournament. Um, so uh, and it got a lot. It got it was a resounding success. A lot of people watched it back in Russia, I guess, because of the nostalgia um, the, that was behind the tournament. So. Um, yeah, I just I had to write an article about it because um, it almost led to the reunification of the Russian and Ukrainian league back in the day. And um, that in itself, of course, that idea was buried um, despite millions of Russians, 5 million Russians watched the the, unific- reun- the, the unified cup in uh, 2013 and 14. So this, despite all of that, of course, politics got in the way of that. So we don't want to talk too much about this, but... Andrew, what's your exp- impression of that first, um, the first round of the Match TV Cup? Oh, like you say, I think it's um, it's just I can't see many downsides to it. It's it's warm weather training, it's a little bit more competitive. Um, the uh, well, Rostov's uh, very, very, very close um, <laughs> call at the end of their game against Spartak was interesting. Yonov getting a penalty in the last minute of normal time, and then um, uh, up the other end, uh, your boys nick it, Tim. Um, and then, uh, and, and then, of course, you had um, uh, you had Zanit crumbling against Locomotive. So, I mean, it's too much, too early to read into it yet, but the fact that Zanit were humbled by, let's be perfectly honest, boys, a very ordinary Locomotive side. They've not performed anywhere near uh, what they managed last season. Um, it's. I do think it is. It's competitive enough to be interesting. Those sort of results, and and like you say, it's a useful bit of prize money on the line. Um, not as much as it used to be, but still, it's enough to cover costs and make the players feel a bit wor- more worthwhile than hammering some Armenian second tier side fifty nil. So, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that it's ready, readily available as well on Match TV on the regular um, terrestrial channels out here. Um, so it, I don't know what the viewing figures are like, but I imagine they're actually pretty good because people will be uh, will be missing Russian football, and it's the earliest chance, like you say, to get back into the swing of it. Yeah, Tim, what do you make of the first game? Um, I mean, it's winter football, right? So it's all it's all training football, more or less. But what do you make of the first games? Yeah, it's still like you know, probably as as a, as a regular fan, it's not that um, interesting because really, like the team is just in building. But for the diehard fans and for people who really pay attention to the clubs, it's still very interesting. For me, it was very interesting to see a few new players, uh, the 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 tactical setup, which will Spartak will have. I obviously will be a little bit more focused on Spartak because I'm uh, biased. But um, 
um, uh, there was a few new players who played. Uh, Spartak purchased a new left back, Ayrton from Brazil, who is uh, we already covered on this um, uh, pod, and we were very very accurate uh, in our um, uh, predictions. He's very um, good in, in going forward. He has a fantastic speed. He's very very fast, and he looks like he's technical. He is. Um, he he seems like he likes to dribble, and um, he's definitely an attacking uh, left back, um, which is very interesting. I think he will be a good competition to Dmitry Kambarov. Uh, he is way more. Um, Technical than and faster than Dmitry Kambarov, but Dmitry Kambarov obviously has the experience. So I think that will be um, an interesting competition throughout the rest of the season. Also, the the, the player who I was impressed the most was Ayaz Guliev, who actually transferred from Rostov uh, this winter break. He is a Spartak Academy product. He was in Spartak from very very young age, and he finished the academy. He uh, played in the youth teams, but then he was transferred uh, to Anji and then. Uh, loaned to Anji and then transferred to Rostov fully uh, just uh, last season. Uh, he spent a very impressive first half of the season and he was transferred back to Spartak this because Spartak had a close uh, that he had a preferable amount uh, from what I understand which is about one million dollars uh, to uh, to buy him back in a certain period of time and uh, yes, Goliath was transferred back. He, he, he arrived at his uh, home club and obviously his uh, salary also uh, quadrupled from what I've uh, heard. Uh, he was very, very impressive because he uh, he was very, uh, you know, he, he the, the the commentator of Match TV, he called him a vacuum cleaner because he was really uh, getting all those balls, which were like 50-50 balls, so were like... Um, just uh, he was he was very very uh, productive in that sense, and I really um, liked his performance and his aggression. And this is what he's known for. I'm just thinking uh, forward that if uh, he will be playing along uh, Fernando and Zobnin, uh, Fernando who doesn't do that much of defensive work, uh, Zobnin plays classic box to box. Having a player of that caliber of that type will be very very helpful for Fernando, who really pretty much orchestrates the whole game. And um, I'm very excited about his performance. And also, I need to mention that Luis Adriano was just fantastic. He's just my maestro. He's um, he played unbelievably. Just what an what an amazing player uh, we're lucky to have. Uh, those probably the three players uh, who I was paying the close attention. Um, Rostov was also very impressive. I really enjoyed their team. You know, they played so many um, younger and new players, but it was the still same Rostov side which we saw in the first half of the season. It just shows that you know the the strength of Valery Karpin that he built uh, the team and he built the system, and even he replaces some of the players. Um, the system still works. It was the same Rostov side, maybe not the most beautiful team to watch, but they are very aggressive, uh, very productive, very quick, and, you know, they impressed me a lot. Unfortunately, their uh, their player, uh, Vilush, uh, got an injury and he got um, uh, ACL done and he will be out for four to six months. That was a really downside and really bad to start, you know, the first game, first proper game of the season and start with the ACL injury for the club. That's really disappointing, so we wish him uh, all the best, but um, I, I think it was a very good game. Um, very interesting for Spartak fans to see the new games, and I think it's very satisfying uh, for Rostov to see that even with lots of young and new players, the team was still doing well and still was playing according to what Valeri Karpin wants them to do. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Aya, um, Ayas uh, Goliev, uh, Tim, because um, I did I did an article on him after the the transfer was um, completed. He sounds like a really interesting player. 
Um, he's half Aseri, right? Half Aseri, half Russian. Um, mm -hmm. Very short. <laughs> for, yeah. It's almost like Gattuso a little exactly. bit. Exactly. He actually reminds Gattuso. That's a very good comparison. Yeah. It's, it's, but, um, very humble kind of, uh, personality as well before he, um, it is a bit of an interesting story behind him. He went and did the pilgrimage to Mecca, um, because he's a Muslim, right? He's one of many, many Muslims that live in Russia. And, um, he did the pilgrimage to Mecca. He found out that, um, he was going to sign for Spartak just as he was in Dubai, um, where the training, where Spartak are going, we're going to fly to, right? Um, before they uh -huh. were going to Doha. But he had to fly back anyways, change his suitcase and then fly back with Spartak, um, after the transfer was completed. But he's yeah. a, he's a really good player. Um, I, when I looked at his numbers, his stats, it's, it's really interesting. He's still very young. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think, I mean, it, it's the kind of thing, it's kind of the almost ideal situation for, for Spartak because they sent this player out on loan first to Anji where things didn't quite work out so well, right? And then to Rostov, where he got to work with Karpin, and you're quite right. I think what Rostov are doing um, is, is just magnificent work um, under Karpin. They they have really they really kind of rekindled that spirit of Kobe Bedeev in many ways. Yes, but um, he really worked with uh, Goliev in, in that first half season. And at 22, um, they loaned they, they sold um, him to Rostov for 500,000 euros and there was a buyback for 1 million euros, right? So that's, that's a good deal. Um, yeah. It's basically like a loan, loan signing for development. And now they're getting back a young player that they really needed. Yeah. Spartak actually started doing this, um, practice. They started doing this, uh, recently, their players, uh, we sold our player Pantelev, who was known for, uh, scoring crazy amount of uh, free kicks in the FNL. He played for Spartak too. Now he's off to Rubin on a full contract, but again, Spartak has uh, that um, uh, buyback. So I think they're using the strategy wisely. Um, and yeah, like um, I agree with you. I guess is a very interesting player and I think he will be, he might be uh, eventually become um, a very important part of a uh, Spartak team with, he needs to obviously to get some experience, but the qualities which he has, uh, we for a very long time we didn't have a player of that type the player who actually just like it's it's exactly like for the player for the listeners who haven't seen him it is a very gattuso style player who fights who goes in all the scraps and who villains 50 50 balls and he, he also makes a lot of shots i think he is one of the top uh shooting players in the league per game so he's you can see he's a fighter and um, we like we have obviously Fernando, who is a beautiful uh, or orchestra or orchestrator, Zobling, who works hard. But we didn't have that type of player for a, a very long time. That's why I'm excited. Plus, he's Russian citizen, so that's uh, that's a yeah. passport issue, and so not the issue the uh, passport benefits plus the potential uh, place in the Russian national team. Yeah, he's a youth national team player as well for Russia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, despite <laughs> his Assyrian citizenship, he has declared himself for Russia. Um, just want to add that. And I, I think that's that's an interesting uh, byline because. Before the World Cup, I was told many times that um, the Russian national team, there were only Russians playing in there. And I said, like, no, 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 wait. Look at the actual nationalities of some of the players playing yeah, for Russia. Yeah, yeah. It's a very multinational team. Only because every single name ends in off or F doesn't mean it's they're all the yeah, same. Yeah. Um, I think people forget how multinational yeah, of a country Russia is. So Exactly, exactly. Um, but, um, Andrew, I want to bring you in here because Rostov, um, we, we all agree, fantastic work that they've done. 
Um, there has been some rumors though about uh, this is an Icelandic name, Sverre <laughs> Inge Ingerson um, joining mm. Park, right? That would be a massive loss for them. Oh, it would be huge. I mean, they've built quite quite a strong core of Icelandic players, and they they look so solid at the back with their three at the back. Carpet has, like you guys said, he's done a really good job. Um, losing Guliev, I think, is a huge, huge loss for them because I've been seriously impressed with him. I'd almost say he's been their most consistent performer because they're not the most enterprising side going forward but they rely on his energy just carrying the ball. He's such a direct runner. Um, so losing him is a big blow, but to lose Ingerson at the back, you'd, you'd imagine that they are well-prepared enough. They have a couple of uh, a couple of senior pros who've been relegated to the youth team. For I, I haven't actually found out exactly why, but I'm assuming some sort of behavioural issue because they, they played in the cup, but um, perhaps they will be promoted back to the senior side to replace him. But... Um, a lot of the any transfer that goes out from Rostov, you imagine it's got to be partly to balance the books because they perennially don't play their players on time. Um, so uh, I'm not entirely sure how strong their bargaining position is going to be if they sell um, yeah. Ingson to to Park because Park will know. Um, I think a lot of clubs will start cottoning on to the fact that Russian clubs actually don't have very good um, finances, so will accept low fees. Um, but the talent is there. So, yeah, definitely a big loss, that one. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure how they will cope around him. Well, you, you know, and then, of course, um, you could also make the joke that they have the same owner. Rostov and Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I thought that was the connection. Yeah, that is... This is <laughs> I mean, even Savides might, might be banned from attending football matches in Greece. That has not stopped him from... Uh, hanging out with Park. Um, there was recently a video of him welcoming all the Park players at the airport, and uh, you know he he definitely has his he's definitely still around. So, uh, and I mean, from what I understand, he's definitely still got his fingers in in Rostov as well, right, Tim? At least he has the connection. He knows the people because he is a very. Uh a big and important businessman or used to be in, in Rostov. So I'm pretty sure that the connection, connection is still there. And especially footballing connections, those uh, the football world, especially in one city, is very, very uh, small. So I'm pretty sure that he um, knows the people who, um, who manage uh, Rostov Football Club. And I'm pretty sure so that's how that connection came about. Uh, maybe, I know, I mean, maybe Savidis people talk to Rostov people and this is how that comes about. But obviously, that's, that's, uh, he's a good player and uh, that's, you know, I'm not sure if this will be a maybe financially step forward or, um, yeah, but yeah, the club plays in, in, in Europe. So could be potentially good transfer. So we just, we'll just wait. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, uh, again, this is another player that we've, we've scouted on Football Grad. Uh, Sverir Inge Ingerson, um, it's a mouthful. <laughs> uh, I don't know how Greeks will handle that name. I'm pretty <laughs> sure they will do a better job than I do. Um, but I mean, yes, Paug is, is a big club. Um, I think people kind of underestimate how big of a club it is. I was, I was very fortunate to, to visit our friend Thomas uh, in May in Thessaloniki and uh, go to one of the games and, experience the atmosphere um and of course uh, we, we're going to have thomas back at some point because he's back in greece right to, to work on football in in greece and um, um i'll try to get him back 
um, on our show here to talk to us about Greek football, the the insanity that is Greek football, because that was one of our more, more famous podcasts. Um, but yeah, speaking speaking of insanity, so so we have this match TV Cup. Um, we have it goes until January 29th. Is that right, Tim? Um, the the big clubs are going to compete in that, and then um, what's what's going to ho- going on for a team like Zenit and Spartak after that? What's going to happen after this match TV Cup uh, concludes? Because then you only have about another two weeks until European competitions start off, right? Yeah, like uh, Spartak is not in the European competition, so we our next game is the cup game against uh, Ural, which will be in in March, and. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> and um, Tim's getting nervous already. You see, he's. He, 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 <laughs> so I was travelling actually Kattenberg to face the mighty Ural. He's already trembling with fear. To to be quite honestly, absolutely correct, Andrew. I am very very fearful, especially knowing that you might be around and uh, your magical. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but back to the serious notes. The, after that, uh, Spartak will uh, be getting will go on a third um, training camp, and uh, there they will be getting ready for the um, for the for the cup game and then the league. Uh, Zenit schedule is slightly mm, a little bit more uh, busy because they qualified uh, for the next round of uh, Europa League and they are playing against Fenerbahce team, which are not doing very well uh, in the league. Mm-hmm. I was. Uh, yeah. Very surprised to see uh, their position. They're pretty much fighting relegation for such a massive club. It is an interesting situation. So I'm not, I'm not really sure what's going on there. But, um, you know, Europe is Europe. And uh, Zenit still, they have to uh, get ready for uh, for that uh, tie. Uh, you're absolutely right. It's a very unique situation for Russian clubs because they play two very key European matches. Um before the league even starts so you know so it's you play one of the most important games of the season the first playoff round of uh, european cup and this is your first official game and you know how like you know if you take a look at the normal european leagues when we watch the football in august or sometimes even in late july it's not the same quality as in in you know in october november so obviously the teams are not 100% 100% ready. So it is always challenging for the Russian uh, for the Russian clubs uh, coming out of the playoff uh, sorry out, out of the winter break into the European playoffs. So that's an extra challenge. Um so but the Spartak and Zenit are playing this Friday a game which I'm pretty sure will be a very feisty and fiery game because Zenit and Spartak never play um quiet games. So that's something for uh, for the uh, listeners to to watch out. I think it will be a good game. Yeah, and I, th- I think if you're really interested in watching the Match TV Premier Cup, it's actually available worldwide on their official homepage. Um, oh. You can stream it. Yeah, because, I mean, usually it's a, it's a licensing issue why you cannot watch games from abroad, right? But in, in this case, uh, no one else will pick up the license. So you, you can just go on Match TV's homepage. Um, not exactly sure. Is it is it Match tv.ru tv.ru yeah yeah so if you're really interested in watching um russian teams battle it out in the desert in qatar um i i, I know at least one of our football grad network listeners is doing so um then you can you can go head over there and check it out 
So, yeah, and actually, the production is very good. Like, I watched the first Spartak game. It was very good. Uh, the, in the pre-game, it was Yuri Sermon and Andrei Yeshenka, so the player of Spartak and coach of Lokomotiv, were doing the interview. The whole production was very nice. It's, it's very well done. So it's, it's a pleasure to watch. So I highly recommend no, Match TV is uh, funded by Gazprom, so um, <laughs> I don't think money is an issue. Um, <laughs> if you're the, the media arm of one of the world's largest oil and gas producers, then <laughs> I think uh, you can you can do pretty much whatever. Um, but I mean, Tim, you you already mentioned one of these issues, and this is this is a good time to mention another competition that that is being played um, at this time of the year because. Filling that gap, that really long winter gap with football, um, is very important. And I, f I feel like we're almost like a broken record because every year we talk about this, right? Andrew, that this winter break really kills the teams in the post-Soviet space when it comes to the first round of European football to get over that hump. I mean, how many times have we seen Sinead fall in that first round? Um, simply because they're playing a team from Western Europe that's already had five, six competitive games under their valley. Even if they are, um, even if they had come from a league like that has a winter break. I mean, Grasandar, for example, is playing, playing Bayer Leverkusen, right? German, Bund the Bundesliga has a winter break, but the winter break ended, um, last weekend, right? So they will have three or four games played. When they face Krasnodar, it's a completely different, different, um, story for them. Um, for Krasnodar, this will be the first game. So every year, I feel like, Andrew, we talk about this winter break, these three months and how to fill them with competitive football, how to get post-Soviet teams that competitive edge. And, um, every year you tell me about this FNL cup and every year, every, uh, <laughs> We, we say we will do a, we will do a podcast about it. And every year we didn't. And, uh, this year we actually will. So, uh, Andrew, the FNL Cup, tell us about it. What is it? Well, I mean, it's just pure coincidence that I happen to love it. The fact that Oral happened to be the three time, uh, winners, the record winners of this mighty historic competition. But, um, no, in, in, in truth, it actually is. For all our slating of the organization of Russian football, it's actually a very well-run little tournament because there are 16 teams. The Fenel, as a division, has 20 teams. And the first year or two or three years, so it started about eight, nine years ago, in the first two or three years, it was simply the top 16 teams, four groups of four, um, top two go through, quarterfinal, semifinal, final, uh, all in the same training camp facility in either Cyprus or Turkey. I think it's been held as well. Mm -hmm. um, in in recent years, they've slightly updated the intake in that they have um, they have allowed one or two Premier League sides have played in it. Um, a PFL, so a third tier team, is usually invited nowadays. And they have three, two or three uh, international teams. So they have a team from Armenia, um, a team from Latvia, um, and it actually gives just that little bit of a mixed up feel to the friendlies, but with that familiarity that helps train teams up for the next part of the season. Now, the thing that makes it really interesting is this, that the, the, the group stages, like I said, there are three group stage games and potentially six games in total if you go all the way. So there's a lot of chance to trial not only your players coming back from injury, but at this tournament, there are just 
uh, an uncountable number of trialists that feature for the teams. Um, in fact, you'll quite often see team sheets that will simply say um, player on trial. Um, they won't actually know the name of the player themselves. Um, so it gives the clubs a good chance to recruit. Because this is really, guys, isn't it? This is the period when Russian clubs traditionally, in the past at least, have done the most business because it's the longest longest break. Um, so, I mean, the, the prize money is not very much, but enough to cover costs. Teams get some warm weather training with a bit of competition that makes it that bit more competitive. Um, and it is actually a UEFA sanctioned tournament. Um, it is recognised by UEFA, so it's it's gained enough um, traction. And the fact that it's lasted for nine years, I know it doesn't sound like much, but you know we've seen previous incarnations of similar tournaments come up and then go away again, but this has lasted um, so far. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing Tuman against Ural in the final, um, draw, draw on penalties, and they share the cup. Wait, what? <laughs> I, I don't think it could really happen, but I can dream. Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I've, I've heard of tournaments where that happens, where when you when you draw on the final, the, the cup gets shared. Um, I, I'm not sure how you share a cup. I guess you take a massive axe to it and half it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that no, just give it to Andrew. Hey, give it to Andrew. If Ural and Ural change play in the final, I think they should give it just to Andrew so he can hold uh, the cup at home and be uh, kind of represented by both clubs. Uh, and yeah, yeah. it can be the trust fund of the uh, FNL Cup. Um, I want to I talk about this year's edition uh, a little bit because it is it is an interesting lineup, um, Andrew. Because you mentioned yes, there is there's a bunch of teams uh, from the second division. There is one Ural, of course, the um, one team from the from the Premier League. Um, I guess that's a way for them to beat up um, on a bunch of smaller opposition. Good for them. Um, that is uh, Punic Yerevan good good Armenian side uh, if you don't know who they are that's fine we have lots of articles on them um, because we have a correspondent from Armenia um, Levadia from Estonia Riga FC from Latvia Spartak, Spartak 2 Spartak 2 so that's really good for youth development and Krasnodar too so you yes. will see some good yeah. um, Krasnodar prospects uh, in that too our friends from Kursk uh, are almost Russian Cup winners last year <laughs> um, and Murom now I had to look that place up because I really didn't know where it was it's in the Vladimir Oblast um, it has some very important Orthodox um, churches apparently um, it's part of the UNESCO Golden Ring Heritage. So um, apparently they have a football club. But I mean, the reason I love this lineup is it's, it's almost um, it's almost a bit like that old CIS Cup, Andrew. You know, it's 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 international. It's it's competitive. There's uh, four groups. They're doing it in four groups this year. They there's lots of games. I, I, I mean, this makes so much sense. Um, it's almost frightening. Well, you know, it, it does. Um, and I, I think, I think something like this should be extended in the future, really, to the, to the Premier League, really. This match TV cut that we mentioned before is, could potentially be a starting point. Um, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't throw a bit more money behind it, get more of the teams out there and actually genuinely try and build you know, a, a suitable level of importance behind it because there's nothing worse than treading water for three months. Um, you know, but teams need a break. Winter breaks, in my view, are a good thing. They're positive. Yeah. Let the players unwind, 
recover from injuries, etc. But you do need to get back into competitive football sooner rather than later. Otherwise, it really is quite a bizarre second part of the season if you've got that team just struggling to catch up when they're already in competitive football. So, um, I think I think for anybody who's sort of a, a casual observer of Russian football or wants an excuse to get into it, there are so many reasons why this this particular lineup is good. You've got Krasnodar Dubal. Um, these are effectively the boys who drew nil-nil with Real Madrid in the um, UEFA Youth League last year, um, and they're tearing up second tier at the moment. Chetanova in Group B and Tumen's group, um, effectively the the athletic Bilbao of of lower league Russian football, picking only their academy players, uh, two of whom have gone to your club, I believe, Tim. Um, yeah, yeah, two. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, both and, made and debut yesterday. And they they they're going to be in the senior senior squad as well, I believe. Not not yeah. just the reserve team. So well, I mean, that, they, that, they started training and yeah, uh, we'll see. But yeah, that's that's uh, everyone says they're super super talented. And Chertanova, you're absolutely right, full of extremely talented mm-hmm. young players. So this is a club to watch. Um, and it's one last thing that is just perfect is Oral, the best team in the competition by far, of course, are in the same group as a club from our. Possibly not quite favourite part of Moscow. So when you see Ural <laughs> seven, Kim Keenil, everybody can cheer. <laughs> um, I I love this idea, Tim. And you remember the old USSR Federation yeah. Cup? Yeah, yeah. I don't see that. That was that was a tournament played um, with just the sixteen teams in um, the of the top sixteen teams in the uh, Soviet Vishaya Liga, right? Um, a sort of, as sort of like the League Cup in England. Now, yeah. now this is this is what I think. The March TV Cup is, of course, a good precursor to this. Um, the FNL Cup for me. Why not? Three months is a long enough time to do this. Fly all these Russian teams to Qatar or somewhere in the Middle East or Israel, where there's lots of Russians living, right, and play a League Cup. Yeah, that's a, that's a good idea, but I think it it slightly comes down to the money in terms of just cl- where clubs train. Because as we know, for example, Andri, they don't have uh, they have financial issues, and they I think they chose a you know fairly cheaper um, training camp, and I think that goes to a few clubs which cannot afford to luxury uh, Qatar uh, circumstances for clubs like Zenit, Spartak, Rostov. And the locomotive, it's not an issue. Uh, but um, I think that not every single club will be able to afford a place. And for and vice versa, Spartak not going to go to train in Turkey and Antalya. So I think it's kind of like uh, just comes down again, as it's always too many. But the idea is good. I, I don't think maybe all 16 clubs, but if they extend it to, let's say, eight, yeah. that will be good as well. Because, you know, there's if you... Anyways, like, you know, top eight clubs in Russia are very, very competitive and you get them all together in the same uh, place and they play uh, training matches. It's like, it's like uh, Andrew said, it's way better than winning 15-0 against the seventh-tier Armenian side. And I, I mean, you could always invite some other teams, like a couple of local clubs, right, um, to, to get into that Qatari money. Um, mm-hmm. You could, yeah, there's all sorts of ways you could do this. Um, but yeah, I think even if you even if you just have the top eight or six, you know, the teams that are actually playing competitive games in that first round of the Europa League. For me, the way the FNL Cup is structured, that's pretty much the answer of how you bridge that winter break. 
you you introduce a tournament with five six very competitive games you give them a trophy you give them some prize money right because the moment prize money comes involved players take it serious because uh, i mean the professional football players they want to make money they want to drive the lamborghini etc right so that's how it works um so the moment you in- introduce prize money boom you you're pretty much there it, it, it becomes competitive and then you do not basically um play that first game in february against a team from from germany spain italy or wherever and get hammered uh, because you haven't really played a competitive game in three months so I, I i personally think that's a good way to do it yeah i agree with you because that definitely gives more um competitive feel because uh even you know m- might be even let's say if Spartak would have played not against Rostov, but a team of the same quality, that, you know, that uh, the whole TV side of things, that it's an official tournament, uh, the players did the press conference, sorry, the coaches did the press conference, it still adds a little bit more of a competitive age, just pretty much not from maybe from football point of view, but pretty much from the mentality. Yes, we were going to play a game, there will be TV, so, like, you know, the players act slightly different, even if it's it's still a training game, but you're absolutely right, that's a good preparation for uh, the Europe. Um, you know, this is what's missing uh, when the Russian clubs are, you know, getting getting uh, to play, like you said, by Leverkusen or even Fenerbahce. Yeah, what's your opinion on this, Andrew? Well, I, I just think it's a no-brainer. Um, I mean, you know, the I think when we look at Zanit as the obvious example, you mentioned earlier in the pod how they they perform so drastically differently in the when they usually come out of their Europa League group. Um, I, I think part of that is their character. Part of it is a monkey on their back about having this, what they almost see as a curse, and it's, it's a mental problem. But you, you can't you can't avoid the fact that it's they are the only ones effectively of you know the only clubs of reasonable size who actually do have genuine hopes of going to the late stages of tournaments that have this long break. Um, I mean, you might occasionally get an example like Dnipro Dnipro Petrovsk getting to the Europa League final, but it's very rare that Ukrainian club will get as far. Um, and it's, well, it, I, I just don't really see any downside to it. That's the whole thing. All these clubs are going to these sort of places anyway um, for their training camps. If it's a matter of money for the, the weaker size to afford going to somewhere like Qatar, they shouldn't be too hard just to find a little extra money to encourage that. And in turn, you can work it back by getting more sp- Sponsorship by having more players there, you know, make it more an official tournament. It's not, it's not rocket science, you know. Um, so, um, as usual, it's the Faniel that is showing the rest of Russia how to do things correctly. Yeah, no, no bias there. Uh, I, I say bring on the, oh. the Gazprom Qatar Cup. Let's make it happen. Um, yeah. <laughs> brought to you by March TV. Um, yeah, boys, um, Gazprom Qatar money. I, I think that's a good cue to talk about some transfer rumors. Um, as you said already, Andrew, this is the time of the year when Russian teams get most of their business done. Um, oddly enough, very few rumors about incoming players, um, but a lot about outgoing players, and especially when it comes to Zenit. And this is the club I want to start with. Um, so I'm sticking with you, Andrew. Leandro Paredes, um, Chelsea, PSG, 
they're all interested. I know Chelsea has been, uh, they, they really try and to sign as many players as they can because they're probably going to be hit by a transfer ban in the summer, right? For dealing with underage players. Um, that's why they signed Pulisic so early from Borussia Dortmund and loaned him back because they, they need to get every transfer done now. They have failed with a few bits. Uh, now, the way I see Leandro Paredes, um, I think he's not exactly been at his best over the first half of the season. Mm. But at the same time, they need a challenging for the title. So they can't really afford to let him go either. Um, is that a fair assessment? What's your opinion on all of this? One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Yeah, it's a funny one with Paredes, really, because... In a way, I don't blame him for wanting to get out, partly because, um, although, like you say, Zinni, well, clearly are in a title race, they're at the top of the table. Um, I think their momentum uh, is, is very much on a downward trajectory. So I think the only reason he even considered coming to Zanit in the first place was to get some, yeah, get a guaranteed title under his belt. That will boost his exposure a little bit, get some... Um, get a decent way through Europe. And I think he's realising that it's just not as simple as that. Um, from Zanit's point of view, Christian Naboa I saw back in full training today um, after his cruciate ligament injury. I mean, getting him back to match fitness will certainly, after this news, be critical. Um, this is going to sound a bit strange. I don't actually think they're going to miss him as much as you'd assume they would do. Um, the wage bill will will be loosened up a little bit. But they've got the likes of Cranvita, Cusio, Marcusio, um, Christian Naboa. It's not as if they're without very, very good um, uh, centre midfielders. And if they get a bit of money in, then obviously it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt them. Um, that's gonna it's gonna help. There's gonna be genuine organic FFP pleasing um, business. So from Chelsea's point of view, very briefly, um it's he's not going to be a starter because Jorginho is Maurizio Sarri's um, golden boy in midfield. Um, although, having said that, he has come under a lot of criticism in English media recently, Jorginho, for, for being very pedestrian and ineffective. And he's not actually playing as well as he did um, in, in Italy. So perhaps, perhaps there might be a chance for Paredes if he joined Chelsea. Um, I, I think it, I think it adds up all round, and Zanit probably, although it's going to sound strange, I think would be the winners in this. Yeah, um, yeah, maybe. Um, I I don't know. I think if you can sell him for fifty five million euros, which is which is the the rumor for. I mean, there's there's all sorts of stories that they have reached an agreement with PSG, an agreement with uh, Chelsea, etc. Um, but nothing is actually materialized yet, right? Um, that's at least from what I'm hearing. And I think that that's a need in general, um, are not very much interested in, in selling right now. Um, Tim, is that the impression that you're getting as well? 
I think they're just waiting for the right offer. The money is very good, uh, very very good offer, like in terms of just like the amount of money they can get for him. I think that uh, my prediction, I think he will go, uh, and uh, that comes pretty much not as much as uh, from maybe his footballing abilities, because as Andrew said, I think they have enough players to replace him, maybe not like for like, but if Christian Naboa is expected um, to return and in pairing with Marquisio, that's a very strong um, pairing of midfielders for the Russian Premier League. Also having Kuzaev, who is a fantastic player. I don't think, uh, obviously, he is a quality, but um, the key is that um, there's so many rumors around around Zenit, and especially something in this case who we should listen to is Gennady Arlov, who is a legendary uh, Russian commentator from St. Petersburg and who is very, very close uh, to Zenit. And he's numerous, numerous times said that Paredes didn't really, doesn't really want to be in St. Petersburg. He doesn't give his 100%. Everyone in the team knows that. I spoke to a few um, Zenit players. They say the same thing because they watch the games and they, they, they notice how it seems like he doesn't work 100%. He yeah. does enough because he's a professional player. And I think in these circumstances, when you have a, such a lucrative offer from PSG or either Chelsea, doesn't really matter, for a good amount of money, if you see that the player doesn't really want to be in St. Petersburg for, the, for, the, for whatever reason, just let him go. Uh, make good money and just offload the player. And uh, we already heard a few rumors, um, uh, incoming rumors uh, um, uh, for Zenit. Um, Acuna from Sporting Lisbon, they were also fishing for Skopinsov, uh, for Rostov. So that money will be used effectively. Um, and um, we also have to look how does it work with uh, uh, football, football fair play. But in my opinion, Paredes will be gone. I think they'll reach agreement with either club for a good amount of money. And I think it will be best... For Paredes, because he will go to top European club, it will be better for Zenit because they will offload the player who doesn't want to be there. But in terms of his future in either PSG of or Chelsea, I'm a little bit questionable. Um, it's because, like Andrew said, in there's Jorginho who pretty much covers the whole thing in in uh, in Chelsea midfield, and he is the key player. I'm not sure how much playing time along uh, to Jorginho Paredes will have. And PSG, that's why I think PSG is for him is a bit of a better um, option. But again, I'm not Paredes. Uh, so my prediction is that he will uh, leave in that transfer window. Oh, 55 million euros. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Yeah, that's a lot of money um, for a player who doesn't, as you said, doesn't want to be there. I think the question exactly. will, from, for me, the, maybe the one question is um, the need uh, with uh, PSG. Uh, Tuchel really wants Julian Weigel from Dortmund and Dortmund has mm. said no, absolutely not. Um, not going to happen this winter. Summer maybe not happening this winter. And PSG have financial problems, right? They, they, they're trying desperately to load off Rabiot, who's, um, yeah, um, who's, who's currently, who was training with the second team, but, um, filed a lawsuit and won and is now back training with the first team. And so that's a bit of a mess. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I think I think this could be one of those. Uh, it's January twenty third as we're recording this. Uh, we have eight days of this madness uh, left, so I think this could be one of those January thirty first signings. You know where um, where we either see him pull in in Paris or in London. Uh, I think either destination is very possible. Um, January madness, Andrew. Um, our friend Artem Suba. 
This is from Russia today. Uh, so, yeah, um, he has an offer to go to Everton. Oh dear! Long pause. Um, <laughs> you know what? It's I, I'm just so I'm so hesitant for any sort of rumor like this, where a middling middling Premier League club suddenly makes a bid for a Russian player. I'm not saying they don't have scouts in the region, but it's it just smells a little bit of well, we heard of him in the World Cup. We need a striker, and Everton do need a striker. They've been playing. Um, Richarlison up front, who's not really a number nine. He's more of a wide player cutting in. Um, and their next striker is a, a young player, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who's, a, he, he works hard, but he's not very talented. So they do need a slight, a bit more quality, a bit more presence up front because they do have so many creative players. Uh, not forgetting, of course, our football grad favorite, Bernard. Um, and, You know, they've, they've got enough players that would suit a big target man like Juba. Now, that's all in theory. The other thing with Everton that everyone's got to remember is um, a, a good friend of ours uh, who knows a lot about the club has taught, he's gone into great lengths to explain the business side of things. And Everton at the moment are running at a loss from what he was saying. Um, something like 130% of their turnover is going on salaries and the stadium they're building. So um, by getting another transfer in, financially doesn't seem to make a huge amount of sense for them. Yeah. If they can get Zuber in, however, he won't cost very much because of his, partly because of his age, partly because, I'm going to say it, because of his nationality. Russian players do not have a premium on them like English players do. Um, so if it's, it's a hard one to call, Juba, I would be surprised if he wanted to, because I think he's in his comfort zone. That's a neat. Um, he's the main man there. He's a big fish in a smaller pond. So it's an interesting rumor in some parts it makes sense, but I don't see it happening myself. You know, this is to replace because they're still looking. It's only been two years uh, for Lukaku, a Lukaku replacement in Everton. Um, that's what they're kind of looking for. I think it's an, it's an interesting one. Remember just, uh, about, yeah, about a week ago, I, I placed a stat in our uh, football grad chat about Artem Suba. He leads the league, the, the Russian Premier League in key passes played. I, I just, this, this stat when I saw it, it just my, my head, you know, that emoji where the, the head explodes. That's basically, that was me when I saw this. Um, because, I, I couldn't believe it. He's, he used to be that perpetual offside machine, uh, as I called him, but he's really smartened up over the, la since the World Cup, with the year before the World Cup, when he went to Tula and he sort of had to become basically a one, I mean, he was Tula for that half season, right? He, he was that club. Um, and he's really smartened up in his play. I thought he was very good in that first half season for Zenit too. Um, he ran a little bit out of steam, which is understandable because, I mean, the, he played so many games at a, such a high level. It was only a matter of time for it to happen. Um, but I think he's, he's such an interesting one because now he's 30, right? Um, 30 nowadays is an age where footballers are beyond their peak, but I feel like he's just peaked now. He, we're getting the best out of him now. He's a little bit, 
Oh my God, this is a really weird comparison. I'm not saying he is like Slatan Ibrahimovic. I said it is like Slatan Ibrahimovic. <laughs> because Slatan Ibrahimovic didn't oh, really peak oh until his 30s either. Right? I'm not saying he is playing like Slatan Ibrahimovic. I want to make this really clear. I don't want to see head, I don't want to see headlines in Liverpool echo tomorrow saying, saying Everton after Russia Slatan Ibrahimovic. He is not Slatan Ibrahimovic. I'm saying, in terms oh, of his development, it's like Slatan the cat's Ibrahimovic. Out the cat's out of the bag. You've said it. you said it. There we go. He is the Russian Slatan. Which to be fair. Okay, we laugh. We laugh here, Manu. But, okay, yes, in terms of overall quality, it is laugh. But in certain characteristics, it's not actually the worst. Yeah, yeah. In, worst. in charisma, he it's different it's type not, of character, not. but he is a bright character. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's he's all about the Zuba mania. You know, he likes a lot of the attention on himself. He likes to be the centre of attention, and he, but he does back it up with goals and performances. Yeah. And like you said, his maturity. Um, okay, it's not consistent. He has to be, like we said a number of times, he needs always to have a challenge to spur yes. him onto his best form. Uh, like you say, the, the, that spell at Arsenal Tula, to anybody else, it would be demeaning. But to Artem Juba, it was right. Well, I'm going to show these these people. Um, I still remember him. No, not these people. Office. This person, Roberto Mancini. Yeah. Uh, well, yes, that that is that's much more accurate. Yes, to say that true. Um, so you know, we people might laugh, but the Russians laugh, and it's not the worst comparison I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, you know, this is what I do. Um, Manu gives Liverpool headlines. That's that's what I exist for. Liverpool Echo, if you're listening, I've just given you the headline, right? Everton are after the Russian slaughter. Ah, here you go. Heard it here first on this very podcast. Liverpool listening, I give it to you. It's a present. Yeah, it's it's like when I'll just take out a page in the Liverpool Echo and I'll sign it with "You're welcome." Anyways. Um, that's, that's, uh, my little take on this. Um, yeah, he's not the Russian Slatan. He is on that projection, uh, player projection, but I probably already ruined it. Boys, uh, there's one final one I, I want to talk about. We already covered these, the Spartak Moscow transfers. Um, Tim did that uh, very well earlier in the podcast. Uh, thanks for, for, for stealing, stealing my sandwich there, Tim. Um, <laughs> uh, because there isn't really that much happening. Uh, the one and one transfer that stood out for me. Um, was the Krasnodar one with uh, Christopher Olsen. Um, I did, I did a scouting report on him as well. And I came up with a bunch of really interesting statistics. And this is, this is, this is where actually I found the, the, the Atom Super leads the league in, in key passes placed. Again, blows my mind. But, um, Krasnodar is a passing machine, right? And this is how they have more or less been such a good title challenger this this half this the first 20 games in the season this two-thirds of the season um just one point behind Zenit a fantastic year that they have played um and to add to this they signed the Swedish kid Christopher Olsen who I did not know a lot about until I went on to um V-Scout which thankfully we have um have access to as the football grant network this man is a passing machine now Krasnodar adding even more midfield strength while everyone else is kind of rebuilding, shuffling players around. Tim, is, is, is this, is this sort of the Krasnodar way? Because this is not 
a huge signing, but it is that maybe the missing puzzle piece that they just need to get over, to, to make up that one point gap. Exactly, Mana. You actually, I was looking for uh, how to describe this transfer, and and, and uh, you said it in the end that the Krasnodar way, and I think you're absolutely right. This is the Krasnodar way. Uh, this is the way of uh, Viktor Klassen. Uh, this is the way of uh, they scout players, and uh, this new kid is um, just. A, I think it's just the perfect way how they uh, how they do business. Uh, they um, obviously uh, really heavily relay on their academy, and we see the the product of their magnificent academy and how many already young players started slowly, slowly getting in the first team, and they sign those players, and um, they quite they have quite a few. Over the past years, uh, Scandinavian players and Olson is uh, one of those players. And you know, I looked at his career. I look at his um, interview and a little bit of video. He is the player who I think it's very, very. Uh, you know, his career slowly, slowly, step by step goes up. And I think the transfer to Krasnodar is another step in the right direction. He played home. He played uh, away. He played and uh, he was in Arsenal and. Uh, Every little step moves him forward, even when he went back to his country and played um, uh, played in the league. He still played regularly. He got a little bit more uh, playing time, and everything makes sense, and especially you absolutely right, Mana. He is the player which is perfectly, at least on paper for now, uh, fits uh, the the game which Krasnodar plays. That passing um, game which uh, possession and uh, which Krasnodar uh, plays, he seems like he is a perfect fit. I think this is a very good transfer, and I really hope it works out for him in the Russian league because on paper it looks like an ideal fit. A player who has been going step by step up and moving his career forward. This is another one of those steps. And in terms of stylistic game, he is a perfect fit, a passing, uh, technical attacking player who, from what I understand, will be a perfect fit. So I really wish him luck, and I hope it will work out for him. Uh, I think we should be paying attention um, for the for the rest of the season, and I think he will be. He might. He has a chance of becoming a, a crucial player for Krasnodar uh, in the years to come. Yeah, the, the numbers for Krasnodar are just very, very impressive. Um, they they lead the league in goal scored. Um, they lead the league in passes played. They lead the league in through passes and key passes, passes into the final third, passing rate and smart passes and progressive passes and progressive runs and deep completion. That's all. They lead the league in all of those categories. And then they sign a player who, um, led the, the this, the Swedish league in pass completion, um, and had one of the highest uh, successful rates of, uh, of, um, uh, of passing rates in, in Sweden as well. So. Yeah, it's just very impressive. Um, anyhow, this, this is the last piece um, of the news that we have to discuss. Um, Andrew, anything you want to add um, before we, we wrap this up? Uh, well, I mean, you've, you guys have summed up the transfer business pretty well there. Um, I suppose one thing I would like, just a personal view to point out, is um, I think Ural have made quite an interesting signing on loan. Um, Stefan Strandberg is a player we've not really seen much since he moved to Russia. Indian half the time for Krasnodar, he's moved on loan, um, which actually will be a, a very, very important transfer because Ural are the only club yet to have kept clean sheets in the Russian Premier League. So, um, you know, there's a lot of promise. Um, he's a big guy and uh, hopefully, hopefully he can 
settling in time for um, a certain cup match coming up. No, yeah, that that cup match. Um, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll definitely have to chat about that one. Can, can, can I add a little bit more stuff with stuff which we haven't uh, spoke yet? Absolutely. Um, on the transfer side of things, I think we need to talk a little bit about Krylia Savetov, who had a challenging uh, beginning of the year because they started with uh, Andrei Tikhonov, um, who is a young, promising Russian player and a legendary Russian footballer. But it wasn't really going well for him um, in the beginning of the season. Then uh, Miadrak Bozhevich came in, who is been known for being successful in Russia and he never got relegated and um, I'm starting doing better but I just need to see, I just want to talk about how many players they brought in they brought in Alexander Samedov on a full contract from Spartak they brought uh, Jano Ananidze on loan uh, from Spartak. Jano Ananidze used to work with Meadrak Bozhevich in Rostov, and Rostov won the cup. They also brought uh, Roman Shishkin, who is the former um, Russian uh, international uh, from Krasnodar. Artem Timofeev, another loan uh, from Spartak. And John, uh, uh, yeah, and, and a couple of other um, players. Anton Zinkovsky, who... I think is the top scorer if in FNL. So um, Krylia Sovetov is just a club who was really suffering in the first half of the season. But based on their incoming transfers and then uh, Miadrak Bozhevich is now behind the, the helm at that club, I think um, we can confidently say that uh, Krylia Sovetov sh- should be fine in the second half of the season. It just really lots of uh, transfers came into the club and um, big big transfers for that level. Yeah, and a lot of Spartak players. That's, yeah, that's that's really interesting as well. They, I think they have like seven players, seven eight players who had who had played for Spartak. So uh, there was a meme uh, in 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 Spartak world. They called Krylia Spartaka, <laughs> so the the wings of Spartak instead of Krylia Sovieta. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I guess that that does wrap it up, does it? Do you have anything else? Any bullet no, points? No, no, it's good. All good. All right. In that case, Andrew. Um, what do you have going on these days? The floor is your pluck whatever you want to pluck. Yeah, well, um, ah, still waiting for European football and um, and Russian league to to get into the sort of previews and writing that I really love. But yeah, at the moment I'm just uh, editing at um, Total Football Analysis, which is yeah, is yeah, going yeah. Well. In the moment you're enjoying the unbeaten run of your f- football club. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean. Um, in in English terms, it's it's going very well. On Friday, we've got a, got a big cup game, but um, against Arsenal. But um, yeah, in terms of um, in terms of work, yeah, I'm doing toastfootballanalysis.com. It's um, it's going really well. We're growing, getting new writers. So uh, if you're interested in statistics and analysis, just head over there. Um, there's about six, seven, eight articles a day going up. Um, it's really, really good stuff. So I recommend it. Yeah, fantastic stuff. How about you, Tim? Oh, I'm very excited that um, you know the Russian football started, and uh, then we can talk about it, and we have some material to talk. Um, and the class of '92, the last episode which we've made, it seems like uh, the listeners liked it. So thank you for all your feedback, and thank you for listening to the episode and your tweets. Uh, let us know if you need uh, any, if you want, if you're interested in any other ones. We already had a couple of good uh, topics to cover, uh, and the listeners can find me on uh, Twitter, Russian Tim sixty one, and on Instagram, Rocket. From Russia. Yeah, there's been some excellent feedback. Uh, we got at least three suggestions of its historical podcast. So I promise we'll we'll get through them um, one by one and um, do our best to cover it all. So that's all all in the pipeline. Um, you can you can find this podcast and all the other podcasts that we do um, on 
on at footballgradlife on Twitter. Um, you can follow me at Manuel Weff. I do all sorts of stuff. I write for Forbes on the Bundesliga. I cover Major League Soccer and all the North Americans abroad for Pro Soccer USA. And then, of course, I'm the editor-in-chief of uh, the Football Grad Network. So you can find me at Manuel Weff. Um, yeah, that does it for this week. Um, we will be back next week. Until then, Dos Vidanias. <laughs>